Larry, I'll give you a cue here. MMM Agency 100 Studio Sessions. Pixacore. Okay, we're rolling. My name is Larry Dobrow. I'm the editor-in-chief of MMM, and I am ready for you to plug into this episode of the Agency 100 Studio Sessions, a new podcast series which gives members of the MMM Agency 100 an opportunity to riff on what sets them apart. Today, we're going to be talking with our friends at Pixacore. Rico Cipriasso, who is the Senior Vice President Digital Strategy, and Caroline Eastman, the Senior Vice President and CX Strategy Lead at the company. Welcome. So glad to have you guys here today. Nice to be here. Thanks for having us. Today, we are going to be talking about three digital prescriptions for better planning in 2023. And I think it's a pretty fascinating topic, especially since this is an area where so many other companies were seeing them struggle because, of course, quite good at it. But before we get going on to the main event, um, I'd like to ask the first question. It's kind of the first question I've asked in almost every interview for the last three years. Um, Rico, Caroline. How are you? Um, how has Pixacore and you guys personally uh, survived and dealt with everything that we've had to deal with over the last three years? Um, Small question there, you know? I know, right? <laughs> COVID has certainly thrown everyone for a loop. Um, but fortunately, uh, in the strategy world, we don't necessarily have to be face-to-face to do our work. So it's actually worked to our advantage. Uh, we can lead uh, our workshops uh, digitally, and we were able to kind of overcome most of the barriers. So with a few small tweaks, it was business as usual for the strategy work that we do at Pixcore. What I can say on my part is it's up to us being an organization to be as, let's just say, both proactive and reactive at the same time. I think a lot of it has to do with the simple fact that, yes, we can be anywhere at any time, but I think we still we still need to be accountable to one another. And I, I actually like that, the simple fact that we can be accountable to one another. Do you both think that Pixacore's legacy as a digital-first firm helped the agency? Um, you know, I know a lot of other companies, especially ones that were very used to you know congregating in a room and just hashing stuff out. And that was the only way they knew how to work. I know those agencies tended to struggle a little bit in the early part of uh, COVID. Yeah, I think we were used to a lot of the digital tools and we had some in our arsenal to immediately kind of jump in and try. Um, And we weren't afraid to work with our clients to use like complex workshopping tools where they could vote and do things digitally as we were running a work session. So that, that helped us a lot. Yeah. Yes. You can't be in the room at the same time, but you can still be accountable to one another given communications channels. Just because I'm in a different place doesn't necessarily mean I can't still answer your question. Excellent point. All right. Let's get right to the meat of our conversation. Um, And this is a question for both of you. Why do you think that planning for pharma needs that new RX? It's a it's a hot topic question, but I'm, yeah, sure. I'm asking you nice and broad stuff at start. Then we'll start drilling down, right? Totally. Um, I think with uh, pharma, especially the planning process is really established. It's it's been merged into how they structure their corporation, and it's it's hard to change. And it certainly hasn't changed to keep up with digital trends or new digital consumer perspectives. Um, you know, as both HCP and patients have changed over time, everyone's super digital these days. And COVID, I think really showed this disparity. So we're urging our clients to really think differently about how they 
how they plan. And we're about to go into planning season. So this is very relevant right now. Um, patients are so digitally influenced. They use Netflix, they use Amazon, they use Starbucks. They're used to getting what they want when they want it. And it's hyper relevant to them. If we don't change the way we do planning, uh, which is often planning for a brand awareness message that the brand will push out, you're going to start losing patience. And, you know, HTPs are, are, are consumers too. I'll, I'll let Rico touch that on that a little. Yeah, Rico, let's hear from the consumer side. When you say consumer, it's really both the doctor and the patient. Um, it, it's just their means mm-hmm. of how the expectations of content delivery, uh, the expectations of how they learn, the expectations of what they would derive from any piece of content or information that's available or it's out there. They're both human beings. And again, back to the planning process, the challenge there is to remind that internal group that there are outside trends or outside elements for doctors. Doctors do not want to have the conversations. The practice team is a bigger part of the equation now more than ever. It's the, the, over, the, it's the full reliance on a full practice team to make that happen. And, and just knowing all of that from the point of just not even just about knowing about all of the available drugs, but doing all of the things necessary after your prescription is also required. And again, means of delivery, means of, uh, uh, of, means of, of, of content delivery, means of to how to integrate, how, to, how do I make sure that the business actually makes sense? All of those things concurrently are happening that need to be a constant part of your planning process. Rico, um, you had mentioned over the course of that answer that sometimes you had to, you know, kind of, you know, slow things down and remind potential clients, like, all right, you know, this is what we have to keep in mind at all, at all parts of the process. Um, how how are those reminders taken? Um, is it like, oh yeah, 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 gosh, I forgot about it, <laughs> or is it, you know, somewhat of a like, well, we have been doing this. Is there ever any defensiveness on the client side? I don't, I don't think the word defensiveness is appropriate. I think um, I want to give our clients as much due as possible. Yes, yes. They, they, they have a full understanding of the business practices as they currently are. Everybody thinks that okay, new a new piece of technology will get implemented in let's just say a very short amount of time, and not like a hockey stick as to what we've seen with ChatGPT and all those things. And we just need to kind of reinforce the possibility that number one your targets are already doing whatever we're recommending. So it's not a dramatic behavior change, first and foremost. And I think the CX process puts us in a position to remind them of that. And then secondarily, that it's, believe it or not, a safe bet by doing so. And again, the CX process puts us in a situation where we remind our clients that it's a safe bet, not a bet per se. So that they, the defensiveness gets removed and it's still based primarily on why you need to be there when they need you. All right. To that end, let's get to our prescriptions. What do the two of you recommend as the first prescription to fix the planning process? I know that one of the things that you wanted to touch on a little bit was giving more weight to um, and including CX in the planning process, which Rico, you just touched on a little. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in. I think that that is like key to... Um, updating the planning process and really getting at patients and delivering digitally to where they are now and delivering on those expecta- those high expectations they have of pharma. So moving to customer centricity, understanding the journey that a customer goes through, understanding when and where your brand has to meet the customer, what their needs are at the key moments. 
Um, but, you know, you still have to uh, work and plan for some share of voice. It's important. We, we need that. But you need to supplement your planning with other tactics that really get at the heart of um, the pain points, the needs of your customers. If your brand can figure out what are the key moments in the customer journey that you have to win at in order to achieve your business goals, and you can plan around them, you're going to be in a better position today than just going through a planning process that determines what kinds of brand awareness messaging is going in market. And really integrating CX in there is really about um, not just talk about the brand, but like the creating a presence of the brand. So how do you bring your brand to life when you're, when you're dealing with your different customers, whether it be patients or, or HCPs? And I think Rico probably has a lot to say on the yes. HCP side. And again, it's back to what I was talking about earlier about the safe bet. Um, when, when Carolyn talks about the specific place to succeed, that extra work, that little bit of an extra work and focus, and it's not necessarily as dramatic as one would think, but puts everybody in a situation in an appropriate position to think about, okay, I have, I have my share of voice taken care of, but I still need to make sure that I would still address whatever my needs are, may that be as a physician or as a patient, at the time and at the right time. Um, again, I'm 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 the data geek in the organization, so I end up um, I end up uh, boring the living you know what's out of people about uh, the specifics of the the criteria for data, but it's the means to get to why you need to do this in the first place because I need to deliver that presence of the brand, the real essence of that brand, at the right time. And now, when we put all those two things together, especially on HCP. Again, when I talked about it in the context of the support for the practitioner, the support for the practice staff, the more that the organization prepares for all of those eventualities, the better off they are. Do organizations have that forethought? I think that they're starting to. Some of our clients are starting to ask us and think about it, and we'll bring it to the table with them. Whether they're able to integrate it into their brand planning process at this point in time, that's where the rubber hits the road. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) So we often have to encourage them to do it, but they really are starting to think about it, which is a good sign. Um, It's just they, they need to catch up with the rest of the world at this point in time. All right. Let's talk about our second prescription doing a full competitive landscape and looking at the whole competitive ecosystem and all the dynamics that come with it. Yeah, I think it's really important for our clients to really understand their competitors beyond what channel they're in or how much money they're spending in a channel. It's more important to understand what are they doing in the channel? What content are they putting out there? What customer problems are they solving for with their different channel activations? Um, You know, how are they marketing to the patient or the HCP? What is the strategy? Because if you could decode all of that, you're able to understand what is the true white space that you can play in. And I'll give you an example. A lot of brands play in the social channel. And if you just said, check, my competitors are all playing in the social channel, that doesn't give you much yeah. intelligence. But you want to, it took it a step further and you said, okay, well, you know, two of my competitors are just doing paid social media advertising, but nobody's looking or working with influencers. Nobody has put their nurse nurse practitioners online to answer questions. You open up the opportunities where your brand can win. Um, So it's really important that you look at the whole ecosystem and you understand what what is going on. 
The content itself, Caroline, um, is it up to snuff? Um, what are some of the things that you see that are being done well in that regard? And what are some of the things that are maybe a bit lacking? I think um, in general, um, and I'm going to pick on the social channel again. <laughs> <laughs> we always do, right? <laughs> um, I think that uh, pharma hasn't gotten there yet with really understanding the social channel and how to advertise in it. And yes, we are regulated. And yes, there are certain things that we need to do. But just the, the formats of the ads and how we're trying to talk to people in the social channel, it, there's a long way to go there to be really super relevant and to work really, really well. Right. And if, if, I, if I may just interject quickly, just I, again, I'm not here to knock social as well. But <laughs> given that the use of social is primarily because, oh, yeah, I can find the doctor. Yeah, they're people, too. They're on social. Mm -hmm. We can find them there, too. But again, it all goes back to the simple fact that you're just putting a message right in front of them without full consideration of what you need to tell them at that time. Again, back to the point of, of share a voice. That's perfectly fine. But again, to what Caroline was talking about in the context of the competitive, the, the competitive landscape. If every single one of your, let's just say, competitors are there and you're talking about the same exact thing and you don't point out your differentiation, then why are you there? Um, does anybody ever push back against that in the sense of, all right, you know, we don't want to give too much away. We want to, you know, keep something a little bit of a secret or is that, you know, largely, you know, largely a theoretical concern? For the ATP side, it's a, it, it, it's, I don't know if it's a secret per se, because again, you, on, it's on Facebook, you can see your competitors ads. It's, it's, it's plain. It's right there. Yeah. And it's not like it's hidden, but again, everybody just thinks of it as, oh, it's there. Okay. I checked off the box as to what Carolyn talked about earlier, but instead of, of reviewing the check off the box, you now have to take a look at all the real reasons why you're on social. Is it because a, you can actually target the physician and you can actually identify the pattern of said physician and you can now identify your strength or weakness against that exact physician. So then you could go create relevant messages for said physician and still be relevant in the context of your brand SOP. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to tack on to what Rico's just saying about targeting and I'll stop picking on the social channel for a moment and <laughs> the media. <laughs> a, a new a new villain, a new villain. A new villain. <laughs> The, the way that media plans are constructed, obviously a lot of them have to go after reach. However, there should be some money set aside to really go after and using more data-centric um, formats like retargeting that we have today. And if you can do that, you might be able to outmaneuver your competitors if you, if you know what they're doing. Um, retargeting using data um, based on content consumption of somewhere else in the digital universe and then being able to retarget will get you more return than you're going to get on just just using share of voice. So combining the two is like a holy grail, but a lot of people don't think about it. So understanding the competitive landscape in that white space is really, really important. And just a quick add-on to what Carolyn was talking about. I think what I love these days in terms of what I'm seeing on patient targeting is really twofold. Is one, that the ability of the, the, the media landscape to find those patients have been better and better and better year after year. Um, uh, Larry, we were fortunate to see you at the, the Transform conference, and that Transform conference talked about that. And the trends are moving to that. And I think, again, it's back to 
the competitive landscape. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm saying the thing a million times, but it's back to just getting a full competitive understanding of that universe puts us in a position to be smarter about patient identification. And the second part is the accountability of those partners, because partners are saying, okay, you, we can now help you in identifying which portion of those, obviously within HIPAA compliance, are, 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 are actually truly the intended people that you're going after. So to Carolyn's point, your reach elements are stronger. And now, and, and any of the SOVs are still stronger. And then the ability to just do that little extra to make that happen, to get them to think about um, more consideration elements are stronger. All right. Let's go to our third prescription. Caroline, why don't you lead us into this one? Sure. I think our third prescription is really about removing the siloed work between patient and HCP in the brand planning process. Oftentimes in brand planning, there's uh, business goals and objectives for HCPs, there's business and goals and objectives for patients. Then the teams go off and they plan tactics for each, but they never consider the intersections between the two. And as we know, like the doctor and the patient have to work together in order to write a, get a script written in order for the farmer brand to win. We really recommend taking the planning process beyond that siloed approach and really considering the intersection points. Uh, we work with our clients a lot to overlay the two journeys with each other to understand where the patients and the doctors are meeting with each other and to understand the opportunities to drive a better dialogue at that moment to satisfy needs on both sides and also to drive brand consideration. Being able to bring that into your planning process would be stellar because we all know that the planning process dictates what the budget is for the year. So um, it'll be hard to do that after the fact. So bringing it in up front and not planning in a silo could really, really help. I love it when Carolyn talks about that intersection because <laughs> the crux of a lot of smart work coming from, um, coming from her team and coming from kind of the work that we do with her team primarily is, is the full understanding that that intersection is not necessarily a quote-unquote patient tactic nor an HCP tactic. It's, again, frankly, levels up to the relevant business tactic of early, early patient identification, early R, or appropriate Rx, or longer duration, et cetera, et cetera. And, and those intersection points, if understood promptly and properly, is a, a terrific foundation for um, for information delivery because it is done at the most important part of whatever journeys that they're all facing. It's the simple fact that, okay, I have to make a decision or I've already made this decision and I have to communicate it to the patient. I need information so that I can provide the patient with all of the, 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 the important elements she would need to move forward. And I, as a doctor, need that and I need to have that delivered. That's a terrific opportunity for an intersection point. And, and, and a lot of the work that we're trying to convince our clients to think about is that it's never just a patient or a, an HCP tactic. It, it is a very business-driven tactic to make that happen. And, and we're, we're getting some decent headway um, in kind of our post-planning communications or post-planning conversations. But to what Carolyn was talking about, the earlier that we could talk about it in the planning process, the better off the implementation becomes because the, the, the accountability is really the both sides of the equation 
And the, the more it can be discussed in planning, the better off we are in the context of definitions of success, et cetera, et cetera. All right. Here's a question. Um, it's kind of the it's kind of the crystal ball question. But what, what's next when you know, Pixel Core has these conversations? How will you know when clients kind of start a you know, not, I shouldn't say clients because if they're working with you, they do get it. But maybe prospective clients, ones who are a little bit more wary, um, how will you know when they get it? Um, how will you know that okay, this is something which is becoming? I mean, is it a philosophical mind shift that's needed, or is it a matter of just okay, this is what works, and having a lot of use cases and being able to prove it? Talking to clients from uh, who work on the patient side, I think it's a combination of both. A, a lot of marketers that work on the patient side have worked out of pharma or they've been watching the trends. So they know that there's something there where they have to start shifting what they do. They, they have to become more digital and they have to target better in order to reach people at a, at a moment of need. But it is a philosophical mind shift um, that they have to go through to get there. So when we talk to prospective clients, sometimes in the middle of your talking, you, you kind of can read the room and see that they need a little more education. So, you know, I'm more than happy to educate on kind of what, what CX means, what being customer centric means, how to like target people a little bit better and why it matters to target key moments in the journey. Um, and I think that helps them get over the hump, but we're, we're starting to see more traction there more and more and more. Um, and, you know, like a lot of the conferences that you've been at and running are around the same topic. It's we're, we're here, there's a tipping point now and we have to move in that direction. And I, I can speak about it in the perspective of, of, of both the, the field force and uh, the commercial teams, the commercial team side. And I think a lot of it is turning into the number one, the nature of selling, the nature of face to face selling has dramatically changed. And so it's not about the fact that they don't get it. It's what do I do next huh. is what I think. Our, all of our clients are facing. May that be existing clients or future clients to come. And the what do I do next part is becoming, again, the way, the re, one of the reasons why we introduce um, CX thinking, uh, introduce what Carolyn is, is absolutely passionate about and terrific at, is primarily because of the fact that, okay, it's, it's not about what's next, it's about what's right. And, and what's right for us, regardless if there is an existing technology or a future technology, future technologies just makes exactly what we're talking about faster, right? All the predictive means just make it faster for us to, to move from one step to the next. But still, we still need to get an understanding of the journeys to get us there. And, and I think that alone could put, make everyone comfortable in the simple fact that it's not about, oh, oh, wow, I have to do these brand spanking new technology things to, to make it happen. It's about, again, taking a step back, knowing why you're doing this in the first place and getting a firm belief that, number one, I will get there. But number two, I will get there with the right tools. All right. All right, we're going to ask you guys one last question and it is way, way, way off script. But since this is the Agency 100 Studio Session Podcast, we got to ask a little bit about music. What is the last song that both of you have listened to? <laughs> Go ahead, Carolyn. <laughs> I don't think this is as fun a question if we tell you about it beforehand, right? You know? I know. <laughs> totally. 
I went way, 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 way back to my uh, roots in the 90s and was listening to the Lemonheads. <laughs> All right. There you go. It's a shame about Ray, the great big no. What are we, what are we talking? <laughs> it's a shame about Ray. All right. <laughs> I was just texting about it last night. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> it's a terrific record. Yeah. It really is. How about you, Rico? So I am a huge fan of a band called Everything But The Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, they are a, a British duo, married couple, been around forever since I think the early, the mid eight, early mid eighties. What I love about them is they've progressed through, um, through trends and they're forward thinking in terms of their scope and musicality. And, and right now they are, are doing, let's just say, lack of a better term, um, um, dance music. And so they just put out a new album uh, a few weeks ago called Fuse. And I was listening. I was listening to a song just on my way to this office today called "Nothing Left to Lose," and it's a it's a it's a it is not what the kids are listening to today type of thing. <laughs> but um, it, but but it's a it, it, but I don't necessarily want to call it mature old people dance music, right? So it, it, what I loved about it is again they're they're a uh, they're a band that has progressed through time. And, um, and and I just love where they are today um, in that progression. So that's where my, my my musical brain is right now. Excellent choices, both of them. You know, we still haven't gotten anybody that started bringing up, like, you know, really, really cheesy hair metal from the 1980s. So this is good. Don't get me started with that. I can bore you for hours. <laughs> okay, Rico, that's our next podcast then, okay? There Maybe you sitting there and, like, weighing in on, like, you know, kicks and winger. <laughs> hey! Hey, don't knock Kip. Don't knock Kip. <laughs> Rico, Caroline, you guys have been amazing. Thank you so much for this. It was a heck of an education. And then we got some good music talk at the end. So many thanks for your time. Great. Great talking with you. Thank you very much for having us. For the MM&M Studio Sessions podcast, I'm Larry Dobrow. Many thanks for listening and be well. <laughs>